he cleans a big hospital and he has 15, 20 guys or employees that work for that franchisee. His name is Ron. And again, that was one of those things too from the question before. The area developer then mentors and supports Ron. Hey Ron, let's look at your books. Let's look at your workman's comp. Let's look at your payroll. Let's look at these things together. So he's taking care of his employees. And Dan, it's the millionaire next door, right? Whether it's the pooper scooper or it's the janitorial service, it's one of those things where you think, ah, who's gonna dump the trash? But guess what? It happens and it's $128 billion a year industry. That's before COVID. And don't get me wrong, COVID is nasty. Friends and family, I know a lot of people were sick and ill and even a few who died. Although with that said too, it's been the best thing ever for the facility service industry. And we've been providing those services even to kill the airborne bacteria for years in different facilities. So it's now we're no longer that dumb janitor. It's an extensional service that your office better be clean today, Dan, or you might have monkey pox in that phone. Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. We are on a mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs just like you take action through franchise ownership. Allowing you to obtain more financial freedom, time with family, and ultimately, a business that can run on its own without you. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. Today, we have a fantastic guest. We're going to go over some great material. We have Paul Dorsey. Paul, rather than go through your entire bio ourselves, we'll just turn it over to you and and let you tell us about your background. I mean, Paul is an absolute expert with a ton of experience in the industry. So I think there's a lot to learn from him. So really excited to have you on today. Thanks, Christian. And, you know, again, you can go to my, I don't have a podcast, but all my videos on YouTube and watch it all day long and learn as much as you want. But there's two things about franchising. Again, it's all about the relationship and building those relationships. And my key motto, of course, you know, you're either in it for the commission or you're in it for the mission. And you can tell really quick who's in it for the mission and the help and the growth of others. So what's ever good for you is good for me, man. I've been doing it for a long time, sometimes longer than I think. I was actually one of the original area developers, and I'll go through some details there, at Jantize America, where I purchased the Charlotte, North Carolina Territory, was so successful in selling and supporting local unit franchisees. I ended up buying out the founder, Jerry Grabowski, about 10 years ago, moved everything to Charlotte and began to redefine the systems. As we joked about earlier, I was working with the IT guys today and putting in code with our new Janview proprietary software. So any IT or coding questions, I could probably help you with those too. But it's a continuous learning within franchising and you never know enough because I'm going to learn something new today and certainly tomorrow. Since I've taken over and started the national expansion We are growing through that area developer model, sometimes known as master franchising. Go over this a little bit too, if you like to. But it's been very successful and a great ride at Jantize America. I met Dan certainly at one of the franchise shows. Gosh, it's probably been about 10 years, Dan. I was just first starting out in my position as the managing member of Jantize America. So all good things at Jantize. Yeah, I was like seven because I had just started too. And that was about when I started in franchising seven years ago. So yeah, somewhere in that range. Well, we've come a long way. 
Absolutely. Well, I know I'm really excited to have you on, Paul, because I don't think we've ever covered this subject before, the different types of franchising, the different routes that you can pursue within franchising as a franchisee, area development, master franchising. And I think obviously that's something that you have a ton of experience in. And so for those of you that are just listening to this, you can also go on YouTube and there's a full-blown presentation that Paul is going to guide us through today to help us understand the four different types of franchises. So Paul, take it away. We're excited to learn. Well, thank you very much. And maybe I should call the IT guys in just to help me with my dual screens in here too. And as we started (laughs) talking and even early on, maybe today there's some new consultants or new franchisors or somebody out there just listening and learning too. I hope I can be helpful. But everybody gets into the franchising. And guys, it's the franchise brands. Guess what? And this might even be updated. There's over 3,000 different franchise brands, right? You could name 100 of them. And gosh, I think it's 75 different categories, whether it's restaurants or it's smoothies or it's education or it's automotive or it's facility services or whatever it is. But the question that you had earlier, Christian, I wanted to talk about, we can kind of throw some things around. A type for types is not a brand. It's a type of franchise, right? So you have this single unit franchisee and there's uh, 150, maybe 170 single unit franchisees within the brand at Jantize America. Our single unit franchisees are very successful. It's typically a husband and wife team. They're working in the business. They're going to work every day and not necessarily even at Jantize. It could be the guy at the printing center. He's actually going in, he's unlocking the doors, he's turning on lights, and he is running his individual single unit franchise. Thousands and thousands of single unit franchisees out there this morning went and opened up their doors and they're working in their business, they're very successful, and they're having a wonderful life. The next would be that multiple or multi-unit franchise. These are all those guys that, you know, they own 100 McDonald's, or they own 10 Jimmy John's, or they own 10 Supercuts, or whatever. So the multi-unit franchisee, just like it says, right, the guy has multiple locations. And it really helps with the whole local brand. So maybe it's the haircuttery in Charlotte, North Carolina, or your city, USA. So he's got one, the first unit in South Charlotte. He's got the second unit in downtown Charlotte or uptown Charlotte. Then he's got the third unit at Lake Norman, and maybe the fourth unit in Ballantyne and the fifth unit in Indian Trail or whatever. And that guy is no longer opening each door. He's hiring managers to open each one of those doors, whatever it may, could be the print shop, could be the air cuttery, could be a restaurant or not. So he's not necessarily working in the business. He's working on the business, right? So those guys are also able to buy their inventory. It's so much lesser and spread it out. So there might be one big warehouse for all those locations within the territory. And that multi-unit franchise is is managing those people. Much, much high level. Even some of these guys may even keep their job at the bank and hire another manager to manage their territory or their multi-units. Then you get into the area developer. And the area developer that I represent and I sell and support at Giantize America. Guys, I've always called it an area developer. And the main reason is 
the area developer purchases a large territory, like a major city, let's say a football city. And he certainly has two roles, but they're not in the actual day-to-day or operations of the business. The area developer's role is to sell and support the local unit franchises. So at Giantize America, and there's 10 area developers, and as I mentioned, 150, 170 unit franchisees, the area developer is mentoring and managing all those unit franchisees within their territory. And then certainly the master franchisor, I don't know, he might buy a major territory like California, or we're in negotiations right now with a group of guys out of Canada. They will actually become Giantize Canada and own the whole country of Canada, you know, will change the logo to a maple leaf and it would say Giantize Canada. And then they will support the area developers and the unit franchisees amongst the brand. I don't even know if you guys can see my screen, although there's an easy way to remember this. Who's that guy? That's Eeyore. (laughs) That's right. You read your kid's book. So you got Eeyore. So single unit, it's actually spelt differently. If you look it up in Webster's Dictionary, it's spelt differently. It's a unit franchise E with an E-E. And then there's a multi-franchise E with an E. Then the air developer, look at guys, it, it ends with an E-R. And of course, then you have the master franchise or that ends with a O-R. So you, maybe the question you ask, you know, you want to be E-R, right? There's E-R. That makes sense. Am I going too fast or too slow or break down some more slides? So, you know, the area developer that I sell and support at Giantize America is very similar to, say, a multi-unit and a master franchise. He has the rights to that territory and then sub-franchises, the the unit franchisees. Although at Giantize America, the reason why it's not a master franchise, because at the end of the year, the 1099s or the cash flows through the National Franchise Support Center here in Charlotte, North Carolina, not at the local level. So I guess one question I have, Paul, is, and this is something that I get tripped up with as well. You mentioned the 1099 and who it goes to at the end of the year, but what are some of the other key differences between area development and being a master franchisor? I know one might because they're selling and supporting franchises in their local territory, one might collect a royalty. Is that for both? Is that one or the other? How does that work? Absolutely. So I can't speak for every franchisor out there because I don't know their ins and outs. I don't know their royalties or their fees included, but I can speak at Giantize America. So yes, our area developers share in the sale of the unit franchises. So for example, let's use my guy, Robert Chess up in Raleigh. Robert has actually sold, I think it's 90 unit franchises in the small city of Raleigh, North Carolina. Robert, each one of those guys initially invested $10,000, $15,000 to become a Jantize unit franchisee. They wrote that check out to to Jantize America. Robert receives 85% of it. Jantize America receives 15%. Some franchisors, I don't know, it might be a 50-50 split. Some franchisors, it might be a 75-20 split, whatever in there. But yes, the area developer shares in the franchise fees. The area developer also shares in the royalties 
which we call them royalties and administrative or support fees. So the unit franchisees at Giantes America pay a 9% royalty. It takes care of all the billing, the credit, the hassles, the headaches, the brand, joining the team, coming on. It takes care of all the Janview, the IT stuff. And then there's an administrative fee of 7% or support. And that takes care of all the costs and expenses within the territories. So again, what they do in Charlotte, they benefit in Greensboro. What they do in Greensboro, they benefit in Springfield. What they do in Springfield, we benefit down in Atlanta. So it's the benefit for all the franchisees. And of that, the area developer also receives 85% of the royalties. Giantes America receives 15%. If you're enjoying this episode, please click the subscribe button. And make sure to connect with the Franchise Founders Podcast on LinkedIn. I have a question, Paul. Support. So they sell the territory. What is the day-to-day of that area developer? When you say support, could you kind of walk us through what supporting looks like from a day-to-day, week-by-week basis? Sure, absolutely. Although you said something that they sell a territory. The area developers in the Giantize model, they don't sell a territory. The unit franchisees don't get a territory or a zip code. They're actually buying customers. And here it is in a nutshell. Don't get me wrong. There's FTC and FDD and rules and regulations and you know training and support and uniforms and hats and business cards. But in a nutshell, my unit franchisees are paying the area developers an upfront commission for X amount of business. Hey, you give us $10,000, we give you $3,000 worth of business. Hey, you give us $20,000, we give you $5,000 worth of business. So then in turn, answer your question, the support is the area developer is the sales system, the, the sales development for that territory. So Robert has two sales guys out knocking on doors, going in the chamber meetings, bringing in the business, bringing in the end-use customers, the banks, the car dealerships, the movie theaters, you name it, all the facilities to be serviced. And the unit franchisees take care of all the operations and nightly customer service. Understood. One question I have, and maybe this is putting the cart before the horse. I don't know if this is something you're going to get into, but we have people that listen to this podcast that are franchisors or thinking about franchising their business, people looking at buying a franchise as well. But how does the area development model affect when a franchisor maybe wants to exit someday? For example, like a lot of private equity money seems to be coming into franchising and has been for quite some time. If you're sharing a good chunk of your royalty income with area developers, does that affect your multiple at any point? Because I've heard from some other franchise podcasts that I've listened to that that might be the case. I'm curious what your perspective might be on that. Well, I mean, I don't want to share my books with you on this call, <laughs> but let's just say we're billing, you know, close to $2 million a month. And if I make four and a half percent, what is that? Right. Or here's a good one too. If the area developer is billing 200000 a month, and receiving a 16% royalty support fee. I mean, that's $32,000 in residual income going to the area developers. I like your question though, Christian. I like your question. We've had resales. Atlanta was a resale. I had other resales. There's another one of my area developers 
who is being offered a pretty penny right now for his territory, although I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. So how can I rephrase that question that, again, the area developer is just, it's a much more attractive business model than an actual unit franchise janitorial or even the franchisor that I will have here because it has that ongoing reoccurring revenue streams that the area developer has already put in place. Absolutely. You're getting paid tomorrow for work you did today. Correct. Makes sense. And how prevalent is the area development model these days? It seems from what I've heard from other industry experts that it seems like it's not quite as common or am I misplaced in saying that? Again, I probably have to do a little bit more research on the other franchisors that you speak of. Sure. It's very, very, very popular in the facility service commercial cleaning end. And the reason is because the unit franchisees are just not salespeople and they don't want to sell. So matter of fact, we were at one of the franchise shows in Atlanta where the air developer was, and we were the only franchisor who would actually say, we will guarantee you customers. And if you don't get customers, we'll give your money back. It, going back to those unit franchisees who are husband and wife teams, the husband may be working his full-time job and taking care of some facilities at the end of the day. And then ex-military guys, they're like, yes, sir, no, ma'am, I'll take care of it. But they just don't want to sell. They won't pick up the first phone. They won't knock on the doors. But once you introduce them to a customer, Yes, sir. No, ma'am. I'll take care of that right away. And they literally become customers for life. That makes a ton of sense. I can see why it's done that way then. So I've learned enough. <laughs> it's good. What's the backstory? And obviously, I'm kidding. If there's more slides to go through. But I was curious, you know, you got into this business. Like, did you wake up when you were a little kid and say, Mom, I want to be in the janitorial business? It's funny that you say that because... I don't remember my math teacher. I don't remember my science or English teacher, but I remember Mr. Tom. And Mr. Tom was the custodian at our elementary school. Now, I never saw Mr. Tom with the mop and the broom in his hand. And Mr. Tom was always there to help the children across the street or stop the speeding car. We never had resources. So Mr. Tom was always the face of the elementary school back in the 80s when I grew up. And again, I don't know, maybe he was my idol. So there was something into that too. I also have said before, Dan, you know what? I think I was born a franchisor. And I say that because at that same time frame in Springfield, Massachusetts, I had one of the largest paper routes where we delivered, I don't know, it was 500 papers a day. And it wasn't just me and my dad in the back of the station wagon. Well, guess what? I recruited about 50 of my friends and said, each one of you guys is going to deliver 100 papers. And I'm going to pay you, you know, five cents for every paper you deliver. But guess what? The Springfield Republican was paying me 10 cents and I was paying my buddies five cents. So I was making a five cent royalty or, or commission from my buddies out on their bikes delivering papers in Wilbraham, Massachusetts. Wow. Springfield. Derek's from Love Love, you talked to today on the Playbook team. You're from Springfield. Isn't that close to Ludlow, Mass? Ludlow, Wilbraham, you name it. You know, they're suburbs of Springfield, which I think the Springfield, it's now like Springfield, Hartford. They've kind of morphed together. We have an office in downtown Springfield, Massachusetts. 
if you know the area, Dan, or even you guys up in New England, the town is the home of Friendly Ice Creams, mm. which was one of the original first franchises out years and years ago. I think they got bought out by Hershey and maybe shut down since then. You know, you make a great point, though. Like, it's not like you're picking up mops and brooms and scrubbing floors. You're running a company, and that's what your franchisees or your area developers are doing as well. Not that there's anything wrong with that, because we have some unit franchisees that are doing 30, 40, 50. There's one guy that does $75,000 a month in facility services. He cleans a big hospital, and he has 15, 20 guys or employees that work for that franchisee. His name is Ron. And again, that was one of those things, too, from the question before. The area developer then mentors and supports Ron. Hey, Ron, let's look at your books. Let's look at your workman's comp. Let's look at your payroll. Let's look at these things together. So he's taking care of his employees. And Dan, it's the millionaire next door, right? Yeah. Whether it's the pooper scooper or it's the janitorial service, it's one of those things where you think, uh, who's going to dump the trash? But guess what? It happens and it's $128 billion a year industry. That's before COVID. And don't get me wrong, COVID is nasty. Friends and family, I know a lot of people were sick and ill and even a few who died. Although with that said too, it's been the best thing ever for the facility service industry. And we've been providing those services even to kill the airborne bacteria for years in different facilities. So it's now we're no longer that dumb janitor. It's an existential service that your office better be clean today, Dan, or you might have monkeypox in that phone. Well, and this is why it's important not to just write off an industry before you really do some research on it and really think about it a little bit because it's a COVID-resistant, recession-resistant type business. And just because it may not appear super sexy on the surface doesn't mean that it's not a good business. Well, we can make it sexy. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get there, Paul, how can our audience reach you? They could call me anytime directly on my cell phone. 704-449-3687 and 704-449-3687. If I don't answer the phone, leave a message because I'm old school. I don't just know, oh, you called me. I got to call back, right? Or certainly the website, www.jantize franchise has it all listed. It's a lot of exciting things going on at Jantize America. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, we appreciate the overview of area development, master franchising, and thanks for coming on, Paul. Thanks for everyone for hopping on. Make sure to share, subscribe, and leave a review, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. If you want our help with anything from buying a franchise to franchising your business to anything in between, shoot us an email at franchisefounders at gmail.com.